Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. The White House of Rome are coming to know Jesus. The whispers about Jesus are spreading through Rome because of Paul's ministry. And he's saying, you're making that happen. Thank you. Thank you for partnering with me. By the way, here's a little bit of fruit. So how do you, friend, how do you view Christian giving? For many of us, it can be either an optional extra or a burdensome obligation, but Paul wants us to see this as gospel partnership. The Philippian church, though poor, were known for their amazing sacrificial generosity. It's through the gifts of this special church that the Apostle Paul was able to do his ministry work. In today's message, Pastor Ricky teaches us that when we give to God, we're actually partnering with Jesus in the advancement of the gospel. Pastor Ricky also points out that when we give using our temporary means, we rack up for ourselves exciting eternal rewards where rust and moths can't touch our prize. Let's join Pastor Ricky now for part one of his message, Generous God, Generous Givers, from the book of Philippians, chapter four. In this section of the letter, uh, Paul is returning to the purpose for which he originally penned the letter to them. So the Philippians had sent him a financial gift. And we learn actually this is a comment, this is a pattern, that they'd done this over the course of his ministry. When he left Philippi, they continued to send him gifts so that he could continue preaching the gospel and get from one place to another. And then they kind of lost track of one another. And then they heard he was in Rome. And so they sent him another financial gift in Rome. Now, this was necessary because in the Roman prison system, it wasn't like our modern day prisons where you get basic medical care, you get food, you get a place to shield yourself from the elements. No, in Rome, all they provided were the guards to keep you in there. And if you wanted, you got sick, you better hope somebody's going to give you some money to buy, buy medicine. If you want to eat, you better hope somebody's going to send you money to eat. If you want to write a letter to somebody, you better hope somebody's going to buy you expensive paper that you can send and a, be able to pay a messenger to send it to somebody else. And so the Philippians had given to Paul both to sustain him physically and also to sustain his ministry while he was in Rome. So through that, that may th- you may think, okay, well, that's a really different situation than giving to a local church or giving to Christian missions or giving to a Christian mercy ministry organization. Well, the principles here, I think, are applicable across all those areas and I think will be helpful if we distill them down into kind of some principles of giving today. So first principle, giving means the joy of gospel partnership. In the very first verses of Philippians, Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he uses that exact language again in chapter 4, verse 15, where he says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. That word partnership is the same root word in both verses. So some other churches may have, may have been helped by Paul, but only the Philippian church actually gave money towards Paul's work, right? To pay, give him enough money so he can make it from area to area to be sustained while he's preaching the gospel. 
It, the word partnership in Scripture is this word koinonia, or partner. And the word has business overtones. It was the word used where people would go into a venture together. So if Peter and John wanted to go into business and buy a bigger fishing boat together, that was koinonia, that was a partnership. Or if they added another partner... And all the partners would pool their money. They would each own part of the venture. It was their kind of together responsibility to fix the boat if it got broken or needed repairs, all of that. That's the word that Paul has in mind. And we've articulated this as gospel partnership. Now, there's two problems when we talk about this in America. The first problem is that there are some churches that make money kind of the only thing you ever talk about in church, it's kind of the main emphasis. And there's not a whole lot about personal holiness or sanctification, but there's a lot of emphasis on give now, give quick. God's going to give you a blessing if you give fast, if you give it this amount. We have blessing amounts. We have our bronze blessings, our gold blessings, our platinum blessings, and, and that's not at all what Paul is doing. He's saying, listen, you, that's totally the wrong picture. This is gospel partnership. You're giving because we're together to do something. But there's also another misconception in America where we treat giving as sort of an optional part of the Christian life. It's like when you get saved, um, you get a card and the Lord, you know, Jesus gives you a card and says, okay, you're interested in Jesus. That's great. What else are you interested? Are you interested in like small groups? Or are you interested in giving maybe? Are you interested in world missions? And you're like, oh, I don't know. I kind of like uh, mercy ministry, not so much giving, you know. And you say, oh, thank you, Lord, you know, but I, I'm going to pick this area, not that other area. And we can do that, right? We can think, well, it's just part of the thing. And for so many of us who've like grown up in the church, our experience is that stuff just happens, right? We show up, somebody pays for the lights. I don't know. Like somebody is doing something and it's like, great, I love that. But Paul is saying, no, no, no. We advance the gospel when we together are in a venture together where we intentionally give and own financially the mission. Often uh, giving in church or church ministry stuff or gospel advancement stuff can feel a little bit like that experience you have, the super awkward experience where you get to the checkout counter and the cashier says, oh, would you like to donate a dollar toward, you know, whatever. Like, and some of them are very good, very worthy causes, but you don't know the organization. You're making a weird split second decision. You're trying to evaluate, oh, do I really care about cancer, you know, in this area? And, or like, I don't know if I really care about Haiti as much as, you know, and then you're thinking, in my bank account, how much do I have? Can I spare an extra $5? And the cashier, the worst thing is the cashier either, either is like kind of looking at you like, are you, are you not going to care about the orphans? And, um, or the worst thing is when the cashier feels as awkward about it as you. We're like, would you like to donate $5 to the orphans? And you're like, excuse me? Oh, just uh, maybe you want $5 to the orphans? Or, or maybe, if not, that's fine. And you're like, uh, I don't know. And you both had this awkward moment. Sometimes giving in the church can be like that. Like, oh, I don't want to do this, and this is awkward, right? But the way that Paul is talking about this is, no, no, this is a venture together. This is a partnership together. I've been reading this book about these guys taking these expeditions into South America, searching for treasure and stuff. And when they would get together, they would put together the expedition. There'd be like a guide. There'd be a guy who would bring a bunch of the supplies. There'd be a medical professional. There'd be like a hunter guy. And all of them would kind of come in, bring their skills. They would each buy things and kind of put them in a boat together and sail down the river. And they owned that expedition, right? And that's a similar picture to what Paul is doing here. He's saying, listen, when you become 
a Christian, you become a gospel partner with Jesus and a gospel partner with one another. And we are together in this big venture. And when you give, it advances our partnership in the gospel. See, partnership is not just an obligation. It's just not another thing to tick off the Christian to-do list. Paul says, listen, when you give to God's cause, you are acting like a partner. And what I love here is that in verse 22, when he's greeting the Philippians, Paul actually shows the Philippians a little bit of the fruit that's resulted from them financially partnering with Paul. He says that through Paul's influence, some people from Caesar's household. He said, the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. So Caesar's household is something like the executive branch, if you could call it that today. It's not just him and his wife and kids. It's this whole branch of the Roman government where they had his own personal soldiers, he had advisors, he had wealth managers, he had staff, he had servants, he had all these things. And through Paul's ministry, this is extraordinary, people inside, if you could say this, the White House of Rome are coming to know Jesus. The whispers about Jesus are spreading through Rome because of Paul's ministry. And he's saying, you're making that happen. Thank you. Thank you for partnering with me. By the way, here's a little bit of fruit. So how do you, friend, how do you view Christian giving? For many of us, it can be either an optional extra or a burdensome obligation, but Paul wants us to see this as gospel partnership. Second thing we learn about giving is giving means the undeserved opportunity for investing, means an undeserved opportunity for investing. Verse 17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Now, Paul is not out to get rich. If he was, he's doing a terrible job being penniless in a Roman jail. And he's not trying to, trying to butter them up so they want to send him an, another letter with a little bit more money, right? You know, oh, this cloak is, it's, it's, it's nice, but I could use something with a little more velvet. I could use a pillow. I could use a, anything, a sleeping bag. He's not trying to butter them up. He's saying, listen, I'm glad you gave, not because really even I received something, but because when you give, fruit increases to your credit. This is a, a tough phrase to translate. In the ESV, there's a footnote that says, you can translate this as, I seek the profit that accrues to your account. Or other translations, uh, the NASB says, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Or the NIV, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. So Paul is using this business metaphor that actually seems super upside down and makes Paul seem like you don't understand how accounts work. He's saying, when you take the money from your account and invest it in gospel mission, you gain things in your account. And you're like, no, this doesn't work that way. If you take the money out of account, it's gone. He says, no, no, no. When you take it out and give it here, it actually goes back in. And, and you're thinking, I would like that kind of an investment. You invest it and it comes back. That sounds good. Profit accrues to your account. And that he could say this because of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where uh, things get stolen and destroyed and inflation happens, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where no one will ever steal it, where there's no coming financial collapse. Now, this next illustration is a bit cheesy, but I think it's still helpful for me. I'd like to let you know in advance when I'm going to do something cheesy. It's one of the services I provide here. 
Bible teacher Alistair Begg uses the illustration that many people are concerned with their IRA accounts, their individual retirement accounts, or maybe your pension or some other investment you have. And that's not bad, but he says most people do not consider their IEA, their individual eternal account. In other words, Jesus is saying, you have two accounts. You have an earthly account and you have a heavenly account. And he's saying, don't just keep putting all of your investment into this earthly account where it's going to get rusted and stolen and devalued. No, put it in your eternal account where nothing can touch it. Where in fact, when you give money out of this account, it goes into this account. That's what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying, just qualification, as some health and wealth teachers say, if you give $100, God's going to give you $200. I've totally seen guys do this on TV. Give now. Give as much as you can. And whatever you give, God's going to double and send back to you. You think, okay, that's not, that's not good advice. That's not what the Bible teaches. Let's not do that. And Paul is not saying that. But what he is saying is that when you invest your earthly treasure in the cause of Christ, in fact, it results in eternal accrual into your individual eternal account. Randy Alcorn, a Bible teacher on this subject that I highly recommend, says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And he jokes that you never see a a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? You can't take anything with you, but in Christ, we have the opportunity to send it on ahead to eternity. Um, When I was a boy, my nana and granddad would buy me, often would buy me savings bonds for my birthday and sometimes for Christmas. And when you're a kid, when you're like seven, it's the, you know, it feels like the lamest possible birthday gift. Like, oh, I got a transformer and I got a Lego set and I got a paper of imaginary money. Thank you, granddad, you know? And just a little bit of like, oh, And I didn't even understand how valuable it was. I didn't even understand how it worked. In fact, I forgot about the savings bonds until much later when I was about to get married, early 20s. And I remember, oh, I have a bunch of these savings bonds. And so my parents had them. They were keeping them. They said, oh, yeah. And so they gave them to me. And I took them to the bank. and And I realized this is the best possible use of this money, right? Do not give $50 to five year old Ricky. Ricky does not know what to buy. He's going to buy a giant super soaker. Please send the money into the future to adult Ricky who needs the money, who's trying to figure out how do I pay for furniture and a honeymoon and an apartment and a deposit, right? I can use the money. And so you think, okay, if I was five and I had the whole of that account, I would have just bought the giant $500 Lego Death Star, which is not a good use of money. Please send it to Ricky. He needs a couch. And in that beautiful way, my grandparents were serving me. They knew, okay, there's going to come a time where you actually need this. This is actually going to be much more helpful than right now. And in a similar way, Jesus is inviting us to do that. He's saying, listen, you're on this earth like that. And then eternity begins. So would you rather use it for the five minutes of your life or invest it into eternity? That's what Jesus is saying. And that's what Paul is saying is happening. You gave and therefore, oh man, it's credited to your heavenly account. So do you see giving as an investment or how would your money change if you saw giving, not just as money leaving your account, but money invested for eternal purposes? Third thing we learn about giving Giving means the grateful response of worshiping. 
Giving means worshiping. Paul says, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And in fact, just later on, he says in verse 20, to God, our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. There's an upward emphasis of giving. Now, Paul's changing from the metaphor of kind of business and accounts to the language of temple worship. So if you can imagine, all across the ancient world, there were temples. And one of the notable things about the temples is at major festivals, there'd be this smell coming from the temples. It was animals being sacrificed. There'd be an animal being burned up, perhaps with some ceremonial incense mixed in. And the smell from everybody in the ancient world meant worship. Now, I know for some of you guys that are grillers, you're like, amen. When that meat is grilled and that smoke goes up to the sky, that is a moment of worship for me, right? You think, think of the, the, the best smell that you can experience, your favorite smell. One of my favorite smells is coffee. I love coffee. In the morning, it is the best thing ever. Our, our friends, the, the Corpuses, gave us some of their coffee, this coffee that they found um, from more east in Texas at an HEB. It's this special coffee blend that has not just coffee, but they have like cinnamon and spices and all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm not joking that when we opened up the coffee bag, one of our kids came over and was like, what is that smell? What is that smell? Right? Sometimes I just, I don't want to finish the bag because I just want to preserve the smell for as long as possible. And everybody in the ancient world would know when you smell that smell, it's a smell of worship. It's a smell that means that this deity is being worshiped. And here's what Paul is saying. When you give, when you invest in something of eternal value, you invest in God's work, it is a moment of pleasing worship to the Lord. See, in our culture, the temptation, especially in our society, is to worship money, not God. And one author says that whatever we look at and say, if I have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant. Then I'll feel secure and safe. And whatever we say that about is what we worship. And in our culture, that's exactly, you can just insert money into that, right? If I have money, then I'll feel my life has meaning. If I have money, then I know I have value as a person. I know I'll be significant. If I have money, then I'll be secure and safe. And if we're honest, many of the times the way we use money is an act of worship, but not, not at the feet of the Lord. It's at the feet of that God of money and possessions and consumerism. Or not just consumerism, it could be just <laughs> you're offering this money because you think, okay, I have to hold on to this. I have to do this because otherwise, who's going to take care of me? Giving towards God's eternal cause is an act of worship. One of the things that often happens, even in Christian circles, is we keep money as our true God, and then we try to use God to get to the money. We try to think, okay, how do I follow the God of the Bible so he makes me wealthier and healthier and gives me exactly what I want? And in that way, we're using God to get at money. And what Paul is saying is, no, 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 that's the wrong way around. We want to use money to get more of God, to get to God. And this, friends, this only happens when our hearts 
are full of all the things that Philippians has been telling us. You got to remember, this is at the very end of the letter. Paul has been telling us for passage after passage after passage what the Lord has done for us, how he has blessed us. And by the end, you're like wanting to stand up in worship. And Paul is saying, one of the ways you worship is not just serving. One of the ways you worship is not just following Jesus in every area of your life. One of the ways you worship is by investing in eternal things, even your finances. When uh, my son Ford was born, he was born a bit early. He had some medical needs. He went back into the hospital for a little while. And he had this crazy stomach issue where we went from like, we tried formula and then we tried like the sensitive formula, which is more expensive. And then we tried the extra sensitive formula, which is more expensive than that. And then they brought out kind of from some like velvet curtain, this like formula made out of gold dust. Or that's what I assume because of what it cost. Right? I remember like, weekly, the dreaded moment where we'd have to drive to the store and buy more of this and think, oh my gosh, you know? And then we started getting, started those, those bills from the C-section and the hospitalization started rolling in. And I remember one of the first times in our, since Jen and I had been married, we kind of decided to give to the Lord. That was one of the first times that I felt really tested, right? I looked at that section of the budget that we had set aside to give to the Lord and I thought, oh man, I could really use that money, right? And, and in that way, it was like I had this moment with the Lord about it, where I had to say, you know what? I feel very insecure right now as a dad. I, I can't control my, my son's health. I can't control all this other, the bills and how much they are. But I know the Lord, and the Lord has died for me, and the Lord has taken care of us, and he's preserved my son's life. And so it really... Very intentionally for those two or three months he was on that, it became like an act of worship. It was me saying, God, I'm going to follow you and trust you and worship you and not something else. And when we do that, that's what Paul was saying. It becomes an act of worship. It, and and it's, it, in some ways, it's such a helpful act of worship for us because it forces us to very clearly take our lives off of the altar of consumerism or greed or money and put them on the altar under the Lord. Say, Lord, I want to worship you, not this other stuff. So let me just encourage you, if you don't feel like worshiping, if you're thinking, okay, yeah, sure, but I don't feel like worshiping, let me just encourage you to go back and read the rest of Philippians again, to soak in those gospel truths again, and to allow that to get deep down and begin to affect your heart until you want to worship the Lord. And last thing, Last section here, point number four, giving means trust in the giver. And I love this. Verse 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's interesting is that Roman culture was very concerned with who had given what in the relationship and who owed who what. So if you invite somebody over, another family over, and you grill hot dogs, and then the next time you go over to their house, they grill steaks, then you're obligated the next time they come over, you better have some steaks ready. the entire Bible or encountered it for the first time today on Better News Radio, you can learn about true joy from the happiest book in the Bible. 
this book, the book of Philippians, shares just how this joy can be accessed and how it's only possible through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know more about who Jesus is and how you can find the joy that he offers? Then please give us a call. You can reach us at 915-562-7100. That number again is 915-562-7100. We'd also like to point you to a free online book answering questions that you might have. It's called Better News and it's written by Pastor Ricky. Find it online at betternewsradio.com. Download and read it when you have some time and feel free to share it. We'd like to encourage you also to join a local church. This will provide you a stable home base for your spiritual growth and a new family to support and encourage you. If you happen to be in the El Paso area, please come visit us at Cross of Grace Church. We meet each Sunday and we'd love to have you be a part of our time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and service times online at betternewsradio.com. Just click on church. We're so excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Better News Radio. We pray you continue to be blessed by what you hear and that you'll meet Jesus personally today. Join us next time for more from the happiest book in the Bible, Philippians, right here on Better News Radio.